I just remember, you know, being at my after school program on the basketball court. And one of the staff members came in and told me that I needed to come to the office. And I ended up going into the office and found my two siblings standing there with my social worker. And that is actually where we found out that we were going to be leaving my mother's house. On this episode of the Creator Community, we'll meet Amani Myers, a survivor of the foster care system, a former White House intern, and now vocal leader in motivating the thousands in the foster care system today. We'll learn how Amani and her siblings were separated from their mother twice and then each other, and how this separation led her and her sister to going down incredibly different paths in life with very different endings. We'll follow Amani's journey of finding the power in her voice and using it to help so many. She continues her mission today to help children navigate the foster care system and has written her book, You Are the Prize, to inspire others by sharing her journey of self-discovery and survival. Check out the show. Welcome to the third season of the Creator Community. This is a podcast series from book publisher New Degree Press, or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders, founder of Forward Advisory Solutions. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, 2021, NDP will cross over 1,000 published authors. In this show, we get to know the authors and their books, as well as give you a behind-the-scenes look at their journey. We'll find out what it takes to bring a book from an idea to being available wherever you buy books online. It's no easy task. Nothing worth it ever is. But with solid structure, coaching, and community, it's very much attainable. Today, I'm with me, Amani Myers. Amani is a first-generation college graduate from Gordon College, and the National Urban Fellows Program, where she received her Bachelor's of Social Work, Sociology, and her Master's Degree in Public Administration. She has experienced early childhood trauma, loss of her biological family, and has been on a journey to understand her identity, despite the challenges she's faced along the way. She takes pride in advocating for children in the foster care system and is passionate about helping to improve the system. Amani worked as an intern at the White House to do just that. And in her spare time, she enjoys traveling on long adventures, hosting random kickbacks with her friends, and hiding under cozy blankets, exploring documentaries. And Amani is now an author of her new book, You Are the Prize, Seeing Yourself Beyond the Imperfections of Your Trauma. Amani's book will be available this December 2021, wherever your books are available online. Amani, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm so glad to be here. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Oh, what an interesting and diverse journey that you've had along the way. You know, let's start there if we could, Amani. Tell us a little bit more about your background, your journey, and, and the career you've had. Definitely. So, you know, I always like to first start off by saying I am from Boston, Massachusetts, the East Coast. And um, I would say the start of my life was definitely really rough. You know, I was born during the crack epidemic during the late 80s and um, was born to two parents who were both addicted to drugs and involved in criminal activity. And so at the time, you know, I was left in the hospital because my mom didn't have the ability to take care of me. And so as someone who was born with drugs in my system, there were a lot of challenges that I faced along the way because I was someone that had experienced a learning disability and asthma as a result of the trauma that I experienced in the womb. And so luckily I would say that I had an opportunity to be raised by my great aunt for the first 10 years of my life. 
And that is what we would call kinship care through the foster care system. And it's where a family member come and takes you in and, you know, takes care of you until, you know, you're able to be able to go on your own. But during that time, I spent the first 10 years with my great aunt. And then at the age of 10, I remember meeting my mom and asking her, why was it it that we didn't live with her? And so she told us that she was going to get approval for us to be taken care of. So at the age of 10, I ended up moving in with my mom. And during that time, I experienced a significant amount of abuse and trauma. I was with my three siblings who were with me. And at the age of 12, we ended up moving into foster care officially. And from there, I was separated from my siblings who I had grown up with for 12 years. And so my time in the foster care system was definitely not an easy journey. I ended up going through the system until I was 18. And at the age of 18, I abruptly aged out. And from that experience, I ended up going off to college and being able to succeed in undergrad, although I transferred a couple of times, ended up on Capitol Hill, the White House, and here I am now. What an unbelievable story to go from, you know, this significant family, family trauma and circumstance, living with your you know, relatives, back to your mom, going into the foster care system. You know, for those who might not be familiar with the foster care system, Omani, why would, why would they separate siblings like that? Yeah, that's a really good question, John. You know, it's not the intention for them to do that. Their intention is really to keep, you know, siblings together. But that is a law that just recently passed where they're really trying to keep siblings together. You know, I'm not completely sure why we were separated. It was something that had never been explained to me. I just remember, you know, being at my after school program on the basketball court. And one of the staff members came in and told me that I needed to come to the office. And I ended up going into the office and found my two siblings standing there with my social worker. And that is actually where we found out that we were going to be leaving my mother's house. And so on our way to, you know, the house, we ended up going to pick up our things and our stuff was already at the DSS office, which is the Department of Social Services. Our things were already there waiting for us. And so we didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to our mom. And it was where I went to the foster home where the three of us ended up going at first. And that is where we found out that my little sister was going to be separated from us. And that for me was a really traumatic experience because, you know, I had been with my siblings again, like for 12 years and to just suddenly be separated was something that I just had no idea, no clue as to why that was. And I would say that the child welfare system does not do a good job to explaining to young people what's going on. I think that they have this a misunderstanding that young people have no idea, have no concept as to understand why things happen the way they do. But the way that you have to really approach it is that you have to speak to young people in a language that is developmentally appropriate for them. And so I think that if it was something that they had done for us, I think I would have had a better understanding. But again, it wasn't something that I understood. And I don't think it's something I would ever understand as to why that we were separated. So you're playing basketball after school one day, as you probably did a bunch of times. And you go into the office and there's your siblings and someone saying, oh, you're moving out of your mom's house and you never see your mom again after that. So thankfully, I was able to see my mom because they ended up setting up visitation with us. But 
in that moment where you're told that you're not able to see your mom again, it's something that is sort of out of this world because again, they don't give you a lot of information. They just tell you this is what's going to happen and this is where you go. And so for me, you know, I hadn't seen my mom, I believe like in a couple of weeks after that, because, you know, they're doing an investigation. They're trying to figure out all of what happened, you know, because at this point, she ended up giving us back up to the system. And so I believe during that time, they were trying to figure out all the stuff that was going on. So she made the choice to proactively say, not sure I'm the best fit to do this. And I'm going to send these kids to the foster care, my kids to the foster care system. Yeah, I think it would, it probably at the time was probably one of the most difficult decisions that she could have ever made. Because I remember her promising when we first moved into her care that she would never give us up again. And so to sit in that assurance that I'm not going to be ever given up again, and then to one day find myself back where I started, it was something that was really difficult for me to understand, you know, as a kid, you know, and as an adult, you know, one of the things that she said was, you know, she no longer wanted to hurt us anymore. And she was facing five charges of child abuse. And so I think for her at that time, she thought that she was doing the right thing for us. And, but we ended up going into a system that re-traumatized us. And so one of the things that I never really understood was what was the purpose of me being in foster care if I was going to experience similar things that I had experienced at my home. Including going through this chaotic moment of being stripped out of your house all of a sudden where you thought you were going to be forever again, right? And then, then your sister gets taken away. And did you ever reconnect with your sister? Yeah, and I would say, thankfully I did. You know, I would say that it still didn't feel the same because again, when you are young, like we were, we were a pact. And so we did everything together. We went to school together. We went to the after school program together. We played together. And so even though I was able to see her, I think that she had a lot of resentment because she didn't understand why was it that she was separated from us. And then a few years later, I was separated from my brother. My brother and I ended up going to schools together. We went to elementary school together, middle school together, and high school together. So we saw each other more often than I saw my sister. And one of the things that I will say is that the child welfare system did try to put us together in terms of location, so close by. But with my sister, she had more disruptions than any of us. So she was constantly moving. And so one of the things that I thought that was really innovative at the time was that my sister was going to a charter school called Epiphany. And I remember her, her, her teachers there noticed that, you know, we were really close and we spent a lot of time together. So what they did was that they facilitated time so that I could go to the school during my, during my sister while she was at school to go visit her. And so that was one of the ways that we were able to stay connected. But as time passed on, as you all will hear and read through my book, is that, you know, my sister had a more divergent path where she decided to go another pathway and I sort of went another path. And I think that for her, the trauma that she experienced was so significant that it was really hard for her to bounce back. And so I would say that over time, our relationship in some ways really much sort of diverged as well. But at the heart of it, we were still best friends. You know, that was my little sister. We were road dogs. So they someone found a creative way to keep you together, which certainly innovative, I think, was the word you used. I, I would call that brilliant. And, and given the circumstances to have you 
some scheduled time together. And you said you went on divergent paths. So you ended up going on an internship to the White House. Where did your sister head off to? Unfortunately, my sister ended up turning to the streets where she was involved in substance abuse. She was also in a DV situation that she was not able to get out of. She had significant mental health challenges. And while she was on the road of, you know, going to school and going to detox programs, again, I think that the time that she had, because again, she went through more homes than we did. So she had a lot of, a lot more instability. And so I think that it led her to turn toward this really inward and downward spiral. And one of the things about my sister was that, you know, you couldn't really tell her anything. She was someone that, like, even though she was my little sister, people thought that she was my older sister because she was really a boss. And so she did what she wanted to do. And it was really hard to direct her in the way that you would want her to go. And I, you know, now that I look back at it, I understand why. But at the same time, I really am sad that she didn't get the shots that I got. You know, and I think that we both deserve to have that. And it was something that she looked up to me about. You know, she would always say, I brag about my, I brag about you to my friends, you know, that you worked at the White House and, you know, you're my best friend. And I know that she really looked up to me and I know that she really was trying to do better. But I think that with the amount of challenges that she was facing, it was really difficult for her. I believe it. I mean, it's uh, heartbreaking to hear you say the word homes and and very casually because that's the experience that you've lived, right? And it's hard to me imagine living in more than one home as a kid growing up. And you know, you lived in several with different families, and what an extraordinary challenge. And here you are, you know, you, you survived it. You're, I would argue, thriving now in, in life. And we'll get to more about that in a bit. But you know, what would you say, looking back over that foster care experience, you know, what do you think you've learned from that? Yeah, there's so much that I've learned. I think that one of the things that I've learned, John, is the power of your voice. You know, as a child who had experienced early childhood trauma, the loss of my innocence was taken away at such a young age that I had lost my voice that I didn't necessarily know that I had a voice. So the things that I was experiencing, I really kept quiet about. And for me, that is something that I think that all too, all too much that happens for young people when they go through these experiences is that they stay silent because they're unable to trust adults. And so for me, I think that one of the things that I've learned most is the power of my voice and the power of my experience. Growing up in care, you know, you don't see while you're going through it that this experience is going to mean something later. You know, I was not on the road to success at all. I didn't think I was going to look past 25. And so to look back and to see that I've made it, I recognize that one of the things that has helped me get to where I am today has been the power of my voice. I've stood up and said things and spoke up about things that I may have not been able to do when I was younger. And so now I have been able to really embrace my voice and use my voice as well as using my experience to really showcase and to highlight that even though I have gone through some really difficult challenges, that I'm still here today and I'm thriving beyond survival. Power of your voice, even at a young age, you know, Amani, where do you think you, where does, where did that knowledge, that discovery come from for you? Thank you. This voice. I think part of it 
stems from opportunity. You know, I think that when you have an opportunity to use your voice, you are then allowed to be able to showcase that. And so the first time that I felt like I could experience that was when I got accepted into a prestigious internship program on Capitol Hill, where I had an opportunity to work along senators in the child wealth industry to really showcase and to highlight the things that young people were experiencing. I, on the other hand, did not really understand how me aging out, how that impacted thousands of young people in our nation. I just thought it was something that I experienced. But it wasn't until I was given an opportunity to work on to work on Capitol Hill and I had an opportunity to write a policy report where I focused on one thing that I wanted to change in the foster care system. And that was an opportunity to, for me to use my voice. So I decided to focus on how do we train our foster parents and our caregivers in trauma-informed care techniques so that when young people into the foster care system, they're not being re-traumatized. How do we train our foster parents to actually care for our children? Because people who are young people who are being removed from their homes, that's a traumatic experience within itself. So I had an opportunity to write a policy report. I researched it worked alongside some team members that helped me put it together. And I was given the opportunity to present my policy recommendations to both members of Congress and the White House Domestic Policy Council, where I shared recommendations on how do we ensure that our foster parents are trained. And the senator that I was working with actually picked up my bill and turned it into draft legislation. And it was in that moment that I recognized that my voice meant something within my experiences. That is absolutely incredible. And there's a, a little bit of a gap in the story here I'd like to fill for our listeners, which is, I think a lot of people would like to be interns in the White House. And a lot of people would like to have their children be interns in the White House and probably didn't have the life experience you have. You know, How did you get from the foster care system to this internship? Yeah. And I think that we talk about the gap. This is actually before I went to the White House. That experience of me writing that policy report and presenting it to members of Congress is actually what led me to the White House. I received a call from my former supervisor saying that the White House was really impressed with my report and invited me along with other interns to apply to the White House internship. And so I applied and I got accepted. And again, that was another instance where that showed me that I was on the right path. Because again, it was something that I had never, ever imagined. I never even imagined being on Capitol Hill, better yet, the White House. And so to get that call to say, hey, we recognize your life experiences, we, ex we recognize your expertise, and we want to see you bring those experiences to the work that we're doing was truly a highlight of my experience. Incredible. One last dot to connect here in my mind, which is you're sitting around in the foster care system and you sat down to write a paper. What drove you to do that? I think that what drove me to do it was that thinking This back, paper that the White House recognized and, said, and someone said, hey, you should apply for this internship. Like, why, why did you sit down and write that paper that became a draft bill? Yeah, I think that for me, again, I've always been someone that's about fairness. And for me, growing up, and recognizing the things that I experienced 
Having a foster mother chain lock the fridge to prevent me from eating was enough for me to write a policy report to ensure that no other young person had to experience what I've experienced. Because that that's not humane. And I truly believe that we were all born with worth, dignity, and value, no matter what. And we all should live up to that. Somebody chained a refrigerator on you so you couldn't get to the food. That's mind-blowing. And, you know, again, here you are, having gone through that and survived and now thriving. So you grew up the foster care system, started to realize you had this voice you had to have out there and you needed to help. So you've been supporting and helping others for many, many years and now and trying to be the voice for yourself and for them. And now you've found yourself with a book, right? You are the prize. So what is You Are the Prize about, Bonnie? You know, You Are the Prize, the title I first want to say stems from my little sister. Unfortunately, she passed away. She ended up taking her life. And I remember before she passed away, you know, we were on the phone and she said to me, sis, always remember that you are the prize. And it's something that from a young age, I did not get to see or experience within myself. And it has taken me to become an adult to recognize that I am the prize. Because when you come into a world that wasn't quite meant for you in the way that you came in, and society has placed all sorts of stereotypes and expectations on you. You know, I was told from a very young age that, you know, Amani, you could end up like your mother and father. And so that pressure of having to live up to that, that was all that I saw in my past. So I never really saw myself as the prize. I saw myself as a burden. I saw myself as a mistake. And so this book is really about embodying and sharing my story about the things that I've had to navigate, the things I've had to overcome, the adversities that I've faced and how those adversities have shaped me into the person that I am today, the experiences that I've had, while also being able to see and to show not only myself, but young people that no matter what you've gone through, you are the prize. And so for me, that's also a way to honor my sister's legacy because she didn't have a chance to share her story. She was also someone that wanted to write a book. And so I really wanted to be intentional about creating something that was honoring to her memory as well as honoring to my life and to also bring about awareness for other young people who go through the foster care system and feel alone, who don't feel like they're the prize. We were all born whole. And some of us don't get to experience that wholeness because very early there were cracks in, in our lives. But it doesn't take away from our innate wholeness. And that's really what I'm trying to get our readers to see is that not only are we whole, but that healing is a lifelong journey. I'm still healing from the traumas that I've experienced. And it still doesn't take away that I'm still the prize. Still healing and still celebrating your sister. And I mean, what a what a brilliant comment to make, particularly given the circumstances you all were living in. I'm sure at the time, even more challenging than, than they've been at other times to for her to have that that moment of awareness. Sounds like a, just a brilliant young woman. So sorry for, for your loss. Thank you. You know, you've talked, I think, to me before about mentors in your life. 
And how have mentors impacted your life along your journey? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, one of the stories that I want to share with you is something that comes up in my book. Because mentorship didn't, wasn't just something that just came. It came upon a mistake that I, that I came across. So when I was a senior in high school, you know, I was, you know, looking for attention and vibing for attention and trying to figure out my life. So I ended up tagging the walls. And in the middle of me tagging the walls, my new high school teacher came out and saw me and caught me drawing graffiti on the wall. And he said, hey, get back here. And I ran away from him. And about an hour later, I was met by the school police who ended up bringing me to the new principal's office and the teacher's office, who was like my first time meeting. And I remember sitting down with my head down because I did that often when I was, you know, feeling shame. And the question that they said to me is, what is, thing, what is what, something that you like to do besides drawing graffiti on the wall? And at the time, I wasn't sure. I was a senior in high school. I had been already hit with so many different suspensions. I was on my last leg before I was, may have been expelled. I was not on track to graduate high school. I hadn't passed the standardized test in order to even apply to colleges. So my life was just sort of in disarray. And it was them seeing beyond what I had done. They looked beyond my behavior to get an understanding of why I was doing what I was doing. And as they learned that I had grown up in foster care, you know, my high school principal recently said to me, she said, you know, Amani, you were a student that went under the radar and you were someone who was lost and no one looked after you. And so they immediately took me under their wing. They made sure they uh, put testing in, in place for me to practice. They met with me to work on college applications and writing essays. They were there to advocate for me when a guidance counselor told me that I shouldn't apply to colleges. And they were with me throughout the whole entire time. And so throughout that time, our relationships have been built and they're still in my life today. And so for me, mentorship has been about cultivating the relationships in my life and really leaning on and seeking support because I've realized that I can't do it alone. You know, I need to have people in my life that can help steer me in the right direction. And so those mentors have also helped me. I remember one mentor had told me, you know, Amani, never allow your past to dictate your future. And that quote stood out to me for so long because for so long, I thought that my past did define my future. And so in so many ways, how people were able to pour into me, to speak truth to me, to say, Amani, you are smart. Amani, you are brave. Amani, you're courageous. Amani, you got this. Just speaking those words to me showed me that, you know what, Amani? Those negative statements that were placed on me so young were then replaced with all of these positive messages. And I had so much fuel to work off of, whereas I didn't have before. And so my mentorship happened later in life when I was a senior in, in high school. And thank God they caught me there. If they hadn't caught me there, I don't know where I would be. Incredible. And I think this speaks to the subtitle of your book, right? Uh, seeing yourself beyond the imperfections of your trauma. And holy cow, what, a, what, what a, an unbelievable level of support. And thankfully for them that they recognized, you know, hey, let's, 
let's treat the person, not the, the symptom here, if you will, and really help this young woman who we see potential in, or maybe didn't see potential in, but we're, they were trying to unearth your passions, your interests to help give you a new direction. It sounds like they did that. And, and what a powerful story about how we can impact young people's lives in, in many different ways. Definitely. You know, obviously there's a, a huge story about your sister here and supporting the journey you're on. Was there anything further, the passion, the energy, the why behind your book that you had to get this out there? Yeah, you know, at the age of 12, I had just went into the Boston care system. And, you know, I've been in therapy my entire life. And so I was met with this therapist and I shared with her that I really wanted to write a book. I wanted to start off and really share about my life and the details that I had experienced. Because at that age, I knew that even at that point, there was something that I needed to say. And I started the book journey, but then as I had experienced different traumas and different anxieties and really trying to navigate through foster care, because you don't just go through foster care, you have to really survive through it. And so in that moment, it was that survival became more important to me than writing the book. And as I got older and I began interacting with more and more people, they would always say, you know, Amani, when you write in your book, you got to write your book. You know, you have so many stories to share. Why don't you share it? And so for me, you know, I was I was actually sleeping. And you know how sometimes in the dead middle of the night when you have like some of those great ideas, it was like one of those nights I had woken up and the feeling of me writing a book and starting that journey and that process was heavy on my heart. And so the next morning, I actually had a call with one of my mentors and I was really afraid to tell him that it was something that I wanted to do because I can be pretty indecisive. But I said, you know, what, Amani, take the risk and just tell him. And so I said, you know what, Russ? He's one of the co-founders of Idealist. And he had said, I said, Russ, you know, I really want to write a book. And he said, oh, wow, that's funny that you say that because I just received an email from a professor at Georgetown and he just put out an ask for people who are interested in writing a book. This program is for first time authors. He sent me the link and I immediately applied. And that is what landed me on my book journey as to where I am today. So your, your life's work here, right? You started writing this book years ago. It took quite a pause, but then again, thanks to some great mentorship and guidance and, and, opportunities. You know, one of my favorite thoughts, I'm sure, uh, the harder, I sure I believe in luck, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And it certainly sounds like that's been the case for you and, and along with this guidance and what a, a great story about people helping others, reaching out, you know, and right. None of these people had to help you, uh, but they chose to do so and, and helped you see the opportunity or the prize in yourself. And here you are, you know, how would you say, Imani, that this book and this book journey has, has changed you? Yeah, I would say that this book journey has changed me in ways that I just never imagined. No one really talks to you about the pains of writing a memoir, you know, because I was, first of all, I was an academic writer. And so, you know, in academia, they don't really want to hear about emotions. They really want to hear about facts. Leave the emotion out of it. But when you're writing a memoir, they really want the raw emotion. They want the feelings. You want to be in tune with the book. And that was one of the, my greatest challenges was really trying to get in tune with my emotions around the experiences that I was facing. 
you know, I am a public speaker, so I speak about my life all the time. But writing a book is just different because, again, you're writing scenes. And so the book changed me in so many ways because as a child, as I was going through these experiences, you think about your experiences as a child. But as an adult, you're thinking about it as an adult from an adult perspective. And so for the example that I can give is even just thinking about, you know, my mom, I was so angry with her for so many years for giving us up. But to then think about how at that time period, if you were born with drugs in your system, at that time, they were not giving you to your parents. You were going to be automatically shipped to the child welfare system if you didn't have family members. And so having that understanding that it wasn't just completely my mother's fault, that there were other things that were involved in it gave me a different perspective. And I had many of those perspectives as I was writing. And so there's just like been this tug of war with my experiences, like, wow, you know, even just thinking about my great aunt and how she didn't spend a lot of time with us emotionally. And part of that was because she was busy as a as a daycare provider, taking care of other kids. And as a kid, you might take it as she didn't love you. But as an adult, when you have other responsibilities and things like that, you think about it differently. And so this book has changed me in a way for me to see outside my experiences and to gain a better perspective of why I arrived as to where I arrived today. And I was able to see a lot of the linkages. I was able to see how my life story just connects. And yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a really powerful, it's been a really life-changing, life-giving experience to say the least. So walking back through this, I'm sure many times painful journey and reliving these stories actually gave you the chance to take a more objective perspective on the journey you've been on and maybe maybe offer you a little forgiveness for some of those along the way that maybe you felt hurt you. That's that's so powerful. And certainly I hear a lot of self-awareness that has developed in your life and just some incredibly uh, thoughtful ways you've think about and reflect on some very challenging times in your life. Thank you for sharing that. Have there been any unexpected positives that come out of the, the book for you so far in this journey? Yeah, I would say that there have been a lot of unexpected positives. I would say that the first one has been First of all, my support system to see how many people backed my book was an unexpected positive because, you know, when you're raising money for something, you always get nervous about whether or not if someone's going to be able to support you or how they're going to be able to support you. So to see that my tribe fully came forward to really support me was really an unexpected positive. I was really grateful for that to see that there were so many people who backed me before there was even a product out. And you fully funded the book in the pre-sale campaign, right? The publishing? Yes. And yeah, and so that was definitely an unexpected positive that, that I've had. And I think another unexpected positive has been meeting people along this journey who say, you know, Imani, your book is something that people need to see. It's something that people need to hear about. And so for me, you know, as someone who, you know, prides myself in my work, Sometimes I'm not always sure how good my work is. And so to, again, to hear it and to see that backing from people has been really cool. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. 
you've got immense support behind the book. And I found, I got a quote from uh, the Boston Globe for you. Laura Cromaldi shared, shared this about your book. Amani's story is proof that our society follows flawed logic that measures people by their zip code, standardized test scores, and skin color. If any of those factors accurately predicted how far a person goes in life, Amani wouldn't exist. But Amani thrives, and that should be our call to reject the standards that threaten to deprive us of her vitality and spirit. Laura Cromaldi, Boston Globe. Incredible. How did it feel to get that quote back from Ms. Cromaldi? You know, I think it felt really incredible because actually in 2007, when I was going off to school, she ended up, she ended up interviewing me for the Boston Herald. And um, the title of the story was One Student's Path to Achievement. And it shared that very story about how I went from, you know, not being able to pass a standardized test to ended up being able to pass a standardized test and get into colleges and to be able to thrive and graduate from high school. And so to hear her words, it's just really enlightening and really powerful that she still feels that way years later. So you've known her for a while. She's been supportive all along the way and now really celebrating your new book and, and so powerful. So what's a key message, Amani? You, we, I think we now know you, you are the prize. What is a key yes. message you'd like the world to take away from your book? I would like the world to take away from this book is that you may have started out on this journey in a, on a path that has been unexpected for you. At the age of 12, I walked into my father's mother's room with tears in my eyes, and I asked her, why did God create me? And she said, Amani, there is a plan and there is a purpose for your life. Just continue to hold on. And I continued to hold on. And at that time, while I was not able to see myself as the prize, I can say today that I see myself as a prize, that I'm embodying that. And I want every person to know that no matter what you've experienced, the trials, the tribulations, the challenges, the hardships, the losses, the grief, there is hope, there is light, and there is goodness at the end of the tunnel. Continue to embody and to embrace yourself through those moments of hardship. Because when you come out of that experience, you're going to come out more stronger. You're going to come out lighter. And you're fully seeing and understanding that you were created because you are the prize. What an incredibly powerful message to share with folks out there. And what an inspiring message for so many. I, I have to think, Imani, not many of lived through and survived all the challenges you have, as you said it earlier. Thank you so much for sharing this story with us and your message of inspiration and hope for so many out there that are facing challenges and not always sure there's light at the end of the tunnel, but certainly you're a great and living example of that. Money, what is next for you and the book journey? Yeah, well, the book is finally coming out December 2021. I had a few setbacks. It was supposed to come out in April 2020 but it's here. And I really plan on and would like to go on some book tours, some speaking tours, really wanting to speak to young people that are involved in the child welfare system, the juvenile justice system, 
And so I want to see this books in colleges and universities. And so I have a lot of more work to do, but I'm excited to see where this book is going to go. No doubt in my mind, many incredible days ahead for you and hundreds, if not thousands of kids you will help and inspire along the way. Amani, if people want to learn more about you and your book, where might they go? So they can go to www.facebook.com slash Amani writes a book. You can also follow me on my LinkedIn page, Amani Myers. You can also check out my website, which is www.amanimotivates.com. Hopefully within the next few weeks, my book will be up on Amazon, Goodreads, and all of those other great places. Awesome. You are the prize. Seeing yourself beyond the imperfections of your trauma will be available this December 2021, where everybody books online. Amani, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. Thank you, John. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Pleasure to have you here. I'm your host of the creator community, John Saunders. Check out Amani's book and keep moving forward. 